1: So Since the day you came and saved me Now every day's brand new Life's become an awesome journey There's nothing better than to walk with you All of my problems seem to disappear Taking my eyes off you for you give me coverage and remove the fear I'm yours and thankful you are mine whether I'm live or die, whether I'm rich or poor, whether in health or in pain. Whether lonely or in a crowd I'm yours and thankful You are mine The future don't scare me Because I know you're there Waiting for me Soon I'm going home I cannot wait To be in your presence There's nothing better Than to walk with you All of my problems Seem to disappear I'm never taking my eyes off you For you give me courage remove my fear, I'm yours and thankful, you are mine, whether I live or die, whether I'm rich or poor,
0: whether in
1: health or in pain, whether lonely or in a crowd, I'm yours and
0: All right. Good morning, and uh, pardon. Apologize for my voice. A little, little cold there. I got with something. So uh, let me hang up the guitar. I'll be right back with you. All right. Good morning again. Can you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1? As I said before, I'm battling a little bit of a cold, something. I don't know. Something's going around in the church at DBZ, so somebody gave it to me. Nice of them, huh? And uh, so I was able to pull it off last night teaching. I didn't know how, how good it was going to be, but uh, I've, I've done that before where I'm like, um, you know, people don't realize the public speak, you know, for an hour where I go sometimes over an hour, which is I did last night, and then I sang a song at the end, like, you're talking about crazy, huh? But I pulled it off. So I don't know how good it sounded, but <laughs> I pulled it off. I remember one time, I, I years ago, when I I was, uh I've had, you know, the worst thing is, well, I was, oh, it was way back in the in the 80s, and I had one of my bands, and I was opening up for a buddy of mine. And uh, he, uh, so I was opening up, and it was at the, yeah, it was open up at St. Tim's in Norwood, I think it was. And so, anyways, I'm, op- I'm the opening act. My band's the opening act was called Triple Threat at the time. It was a three-piece band. I'm playing lead, and you know, and singing. And uh, we weren't too bad, but we wrote our own stuff. And uh, but I remember the night that that night it was a downpour, and so we had a good crowd, right? So I get this massive cold. Just before the show, it just all of a sudden just hit me. I was like, Oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me! So, I don't even know how I did the show. It was like, you know, you talk about having a runny nose while you're trying to sing, and you know, and it's like, Oh, this is awful. I felt terrible. And but people say, Oh, you play, it was great. It's like, Man, you can't, yeah, I was so sick. I I was like, You gotta be kidding me. I but the show must go on, right? So, I don't know how you know, I wouldn't want to hear the recording of that, my voice, but. I know how to fake it sometimes, you know, when, when you when you don't really have your voice, there's things you can do, and you know, and, and I, I could, but I, that's, so I, I got through it, but there's been other gigs, I remember when I played at Ramsey's one time when I was in Iowa, and it was like, just me and acoustic, and uh, I think uh, Vaughn and Debbie came in, and the, the Fletchers came in, so, uh, from Tasmania, and so I was playing there, Ramsey was in a good crowd, and, and man, my my I had something, I was able to do the show three over three hours a show, but uh, a lot of it has to do like that last song. That was all breathing, you know. Usually, I I, I have uh, I can do some things with the back of my voice and different stuff and try to change my voice. I have like I tried to have use different voices, and that song I was able to get by it because I could. Just, it's just about breathing and just making sure you. So, but anyways, I I have some kind of you know I had uh, last year. I didn't have this. I had this viral thing last year in in my. Uh, Last year in Iowa, and then three years, the three years I was in Massachusetts, I got it. This viral thing. I don't know. I thought it was bronchitis or something. So I treated it as bronchitis and got rid of it. And then the last year I was there in Massachusetts it was so bad, I couldn't even get up, go up the stairs. I, was, I had a hard time breathing. You know, if I was going to try to go walk up some stairs, it's like, I got something going on here. So turns out it had some kind of bronchial thing. It wasn't a bronchitis, it was a, a viral infection or something. I don't know. A lot of stuff going on, right? And, uh, so, um, I didn't last year, you know, I think moving self helped, but, uh, because it happens always around, like around the when the cold weather comes in and Iowa, Massachusetts, and it was only those last, you know, and then, so one year I, had, I, I got away without having to take any medication. My, I think my second year in Massachusetts and then, um, and then, uh, so what last year I didn't get it at all. It was a, re- a nice, healthy winter. So that was really appreciative of that. And uh, anyways, that's another reason why I want to get out of the north, you know, all that cold weather and everything. And uh, but um, anyways, so uh, uh, just a couple of announcements. Uh, Remember, uh, this Saturday is our last class before the Christmas break. And so that's this Saturday is our last class before the Christmas break. And then we resume classes Tuesday, January 9th. Okay, so Tuesday, January 9th, we'll be resuming classes then. And uh, just keep an eye on the website at winston.org, and and, uh, and I'll post it on our Facebook page, Winston Bible Ministries, and uh, on our Faith Life uh, site. For um, we'll put I'll post I'll post it up there as well. The uh, class schedule for the annual Christmas break. And I've been doing this annual Christmas break since I moved to Massachusetts. I was able. It really actually helps me a lot too. Um, you know, I, I take a month off, but you know, actually it's just a month off from teaching. I actually do work. <laughs> so like. And uh, and also usually I go back around Christmas time to see my family, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that this year. So I don't really. So we'll uh, we'll see about that. But uh, it's not looking good to me be able to go back. And uh, but uh, anyways, I'd like to go back, but I, I just don't. I can't do it right now. So um, so keep that in prayer if you want, and uh, for me that'd be nice because I have to see my mother and my father and my, my family. Um, and also, uh, what else? So, um, um, yeah. So on these bra- on these, you know, annual breaks, I started in Massachusetts. It actually, it actually helps me because I, I can get ahead, further ahead. I like to get way ahead before I teach these classes. So, like for instance, I'm working Ephesians three six right now. So I'm about four months ahead. Before by the time I f- teach Ephesians three six, it'll be four months from now. In other words, so um, yeah. So that's uh, that helps me out a lot and I can catch up on certain things. Maybe I'll try to write some songs you know, I've got that new collection of songs I'm working on, I've got three done, now I want to do, I got another one, it's ready to roll, I just need to do melody, melody in the the lyrics, and I got the next piece of music, so uh, that um, will be the next one I'm working on, and uh, so maybe I'll pull that, uh, be able to pull that off and uh, finish it off uh, on this Christmas break, so we'll see about that, and uh, anyways, uh, good to have you with us. For those of you joining us live and, and those who are on the recordings, video and audio, uh, good to have you. So today, as you can see on the board, we're going to look at the B part of Ephesians 2.14, uh, which teaches us how Jesus Christ personifies the peace between Jewish and Gentile Christians and caused both groups to be one. Remember in that last class on Tuesday, and it says in Ephesians 2.14 in your Bibles, uh, He Jesus himself is our peace. And we uh, what he means by that is he, he personifies our peace and we explain how that is and uh, and, uh, and the w- reasons why that is. And uh, so in our, at, toward the end of the class on uh, Tuesday. So I would look at that, but today, we'll look at the B part, which explains how Jesus Christ personifies the peace that exists between Jewish and Gentile Christians and how he caused both groups to be one. And then we'll wrap up the study of Ephesians chapter two, verse 14 on Saturday. And uh, what, do we got, what do we got planned there for Saturday? Um, yeah, uh, we're, t- we're going to look at how Jesus Christ destroyed the hostility between Jews and Gentiles caused by the Mosaic Law. So that will be a, a cool class to finish off this year's classes. So we'll be done with uh, this Saturday. We'll to finish off our classes for 2000, two, 2023. I can't believe that. And we'll be, Lord willing, coming back in 2024. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, all the people who've been... Uh, you know, watching the classes or listening to them and, uh, whether it's live or the recordings or those, the, f- the few people that support the ministry financially, I really appreciate you guys. And, uh, and also, um, and also those who, um, you know, in prayer for us, which is extremely important. I can't stress that enough. So, uh, thank you for, uh, this year and your, fa- and for your faithfulness. I hope the, the classes has been a blessing to you and, um, I know I enjoy teaching them. I do enjoy studying the books. So Ephesians is just a great book, and uh, so it's a uh, it's been a good year. It's been a, 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 a little bit crazy. Um, just amazing that Winston Bible Ministries is still going. I just I, I, it cracks me up. So hopefully it'll be, keep going. For we'll see how it goes. But uh, um, I'm at Doctoral Bible Church as the pastor over there here in Huntsville. That's why I'm in Huntsville. So I actually teach six classes a week. Uh, Tuesday. Thursday and Saturday mornings, at eleven for Wednesday Bible Ministries, and then Wednesday evenings, at six thirty at um, Doctoral Bible Church, which is located at twelve fifteen Russell Street Northeast in Huntsville. And then on Sundays, I do two morning two sessions, one at nine thirty, and another one around ten forty five, I think it is. And so we have a break in between the two lessons. So I I actually teach six cl- uh, lessons a week. So that's a, a lot of preparation, and uh, but I have a lot of for the DBC. I have a lot of stuff already prepared in advance. And, um, but anyways, when I'll be teaching Ephesians there one day as well. So, um, again, so just keep me in prayer and I can shake this uh, cold. And, uh, and, uh, for those who worry, there's some people who say, oh, you know, they worry about me with the, with the workload and stuff. Like my, my dad goes, you're 62 years old. You, what do you get two jobs for? And it's like, well, you know. It is what it is, and uh, I enjoy Western bottom Ministries because you know I get a lot of freedom to do it. And then Doctoral Bible Churches, I needed a, I needed somebody who they, somebody wanted me to be their pastor and enjoyed what I do. So you know, absolutely, I'm coming down to this positive volition down here, and they want to hear me. Great, I'll be there. You know, so. Um, but uh, really, it's uh, I enjoy what I do. I love what I do. I mean, the hardest part about ministry is. Uh, is basically dealing with people problems, all due all respect. And there's been a lot of stuff going on f- f- with me in the last couple of months. And it's been kind of a uh, good test. And uh, so, um, but, uh, you know, you just keep going, per- keep your head down, as we say, and persevere. And, you know, uh, just uh, got to work it out. You know, it's you know, like, you know, when, you, the momentary... I always say now, after what I've gone through in Massachusetts and Iowa, especially Massachusetts, Man, if nothing was as bad as that. That was terrible. That was a tough situation. Those three years in Massachusetts and uh, and uh, living in the back of my parents' house and trying to trying to help my dad with his, my demented mother. My mother has dementia, and then trying to keep the ministry going. On the heels of loss of some people I love, and then uh, you know, so that was really really difficult. So, but uh, so anything is better, and this is a lot better than it was in Massachusetts. There those three years, which were very difficult. And uh, basically I was a homeless person living with my parents. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Uh, good to have you. Let's go take a moment of silent prayer as we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves and determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, in other words, he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures, which he's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18. We fill the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So, if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. So, with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Definitely, Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your word. And we are greatly, uh, greatly appreciated, Father, of your faithfulness to myself and my uh, ministry and the people who are, you've raised up that have supported uh, winston Bible Ministries throughout the years and up to the present moment that are interceding in prayer for us and supporting us financially and serving, being good stewards with the time, talent, and treasure and truth that you've given them. I thank you, Father, for the gift you've given me and the great honor and privilege to teach your word, Bible doctrine to your people. Uh, throughout this country and the world, and uh, to uh, give the good news of of salvation to the the non-Christian. I just uh, thank you for this uh, the best job that any person, uh, calling that any person could ever have in the face of the earth that's been given to me. And and I thank you for that. And I take it seriously, Father. So I just pray, Father, today, that you would, uh, through the power of the Spirit, help me to uh, deliver the full counsel today to your people with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power with regards to this passage. In Ephesians 2.14, and how your son personifies the peace that now exists between us Gentile Christians and the Jewish wing of the church, and how you cause both groups through your son to be one. And so, Father, we just uh, pray that you would help your people in the audience to learn, understand, and apply what they're being taught by the power of the Spirit. Please break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that hinder that from happening. And I also pray that you would... Uh, um, There'd be no problems with the recordings, the video and the audio, and upload these things to our various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. I pray that uh, there'd be no problems with YouTube streaming video, and I just thank you for the technology. People will take advantage of it. I pray you protect it from the enemy and use it mightily, and I know you have in the past, and I pray you continue to do so in the future. So Father, we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. All right, you should go to, if you haven't turned there already, please go to Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, go to verse one. And today I'm going to read from the ESV. It's been a while since I've read from the ESV. I've been reading from these other translations, like the New Living Translation, Good News Bible, which are more uh, dynamic equivalents, even more than the NIV. Uh, so let's look at Ephesians chapter two. We're going to read the entire chapter, and as we've been doing, and then I'll read from my translation of chapter two. Then I'm going to we'll we'll dig into verse 14. So by doing that, um, we're paying attention to the immediate preceding and. Uh, context and proceeding context. So we're looking, studying our passage in its context, and that's I'm trying to teach you this. Uh, some things, basically things about hermeneutics, the, the art and science of interpretation. And so uh, there's you use this uh, uh, hermeneutics in when you're reading the newspaper or reading something online or getting an an email. So you know what type of literature you're having and you pay attention to context. So that's what we try to do is pay, pay attention to context. That's, that's what the, the, the cults like to do and false teachers. They, they take passages out of context and they don't pay attention to the context. And that's how they build doctrines uh, you know, on one passage of scripture and they, got, and they got it wrong because they don't compare scripture with scripture. They don't pay attention to the context in which the writer is speaking, uh, writing to an audience. So Ephesians chapter two, verse one. Let's read from the ESV again. And you were dead, speaking the Gentile Christians that he's writing to in the Roman province of Asia. Remember, this is a circular letter written in, by Paul from his Roman, first Roman imprisonment between 60 and 62 AD, a imprisonment he was actually released from. And so as it says in verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh So we see here that on two different occasions, uh, we've been pointing out Paul is uh, described the pre-incarnate, excuse me, the uh, pre-justification or pre-conversion state of these Gentile Christians that he's writing to uh, in verses 1 through 3 and also in verses 11 and 12. Why? To accentuate the great deliverance that God has provided them and accentuate the grace and love of God. Remember, uh, grace is God's, Policy towards sinners and bestowing upon us sinners, based upon the merits of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, and our union identification with Him, uh, unmerited blessings, and they flow through the function of His attribute of love. We make that we we saw that's clear in Ephesians chapter one verses three through fourteen, as we pointed out. So uh, we are truly, and then what's also the big thing about this passage is we're part of the new humanity with ju- uh, uh, Gent uh, Jewish Christians, and so uh, remember we've been pointing this out, at the fall, at the creation of Adam and Eve, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God uh, had created mankind to rule over the works of his hands, that's one of the ways we reflect the image of God, however, uh, the fall came in, Genesis 3, and we see now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is the God of this world, John says in 1 John five nineteen that the whole world is on Satan's power, and then revelation 12 says he deceives the entire world satan does and also he offered up the kingdoms of this world to jesus christ in luke chapter 4 if he would bow down and worship him and of course jesus emphatically rejected that with uh, the word of god and so uh, we see that jesus christ in his crucifixion death burial resurrection ascension and session at the right hand of the father where he now sits waiting his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet by the father Uh, That was the first step in restoring mankind to its rightful place as ruler over the works of God's hand. Now, the father at this time is calling out a bride for himself from all races and ethnicities and language groups. Uh, He is uh, male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, as Paul says in Galatians 3, 26 through 28. And so you and I are part of the new humanity. Us Jewish and Gentile Christians are part of the new humanity. And every time since the day of, uh, of 33 AD and June of 33 AD and the day of Pentecost is recorded in Acts chapter 2 where the Jewish Christians, where Paul evangelized them, the Jewish Christians like Peter, James, and John, the apostles received the gift of the Spirit at, 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 on the day of Pentecost. And then Cornelius and his family in Acts chapter 10 uh, those Gentile believers received the baptism of the Spirit just like the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost. And so, uh, therefore, that began a step, the first step, in uh, calling out a bride for Jesus Christ. And so, every time during the church age, which ends with the rapture of the church, which is imminent, every time one of us, a Jew or Gentile, believes in Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, we're at, the moment, at that moment, the Father declares us justified, and also, simultaneously, he identifies us with Jesus Christ in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session, the right hand of the Father through the baptism of the Spirit. He did that at our justification. So now, we are a part of the members of the body of Christ. We're members of the body of Christ and we're the, the bride of Christ. Members of the body of Christ, bride of Christ. And we're, 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 now we are uh, going to be reigning with Christ during his millennial reign. Okay? So you're important. In this whole picture, the story of the Bible, you and I as church-age believers are extremely important. You're in the story, of the great salvation, the great work of salvation that God's doing right now in the world. And he's calling out a bride for his son. And then when that is completed, then the rapture comes, the resurrection of the church, which ends the church age. And that will prompt the appearance of Antichrist and the start of the 70th week of Daniel when he makes a treaty with Israel. Daniel 9, 27, and it ends with the second advent of Christ when he comes back, the church, Jesus comes back with his bride, the church, as Revelation 19 tells us, and he starts the kingdom here on earth, and he dispossesses Satan and the fallen angels. (coughs) Excuse me, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, as it's pointed out, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? So uh, he's going to kill Antichrist and the false prophet of the second advent, destroy the tribulational armies, remove every unregenerate Gentile and Jew from the face of the earth, and only uh, Jewish and Gentile believers will be who 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 uh, survive the judgments of the tribulation period. And the second advent of Christ will enter into the millennial reign. And they'll repopulate the earth. They won't get their resurrection bodies right away. Uh, The church comes back with Christ as his bride and resurrection bodies and decorated with rewards for faithful service, the elect angels, the tribulational martyrs and resurrection bodies, the Old Testament saints and their resurrection body, and we'll be be coming back to start the kingdom. And Satan's removed with his evil spirits, fellow evil spirits, and they're in prison for a thousand years. And then starts the kingdom. And so, you're a part of that. So, How should we live? There's a great application. How should we live? We should live godly lives. We should live our lives in light of what God not only did for us at our justification, but also what he's going to do for us in the future when he gives us a resurrection body and rewards the faithful service and puts us in the kingdom. Okay, So we should live in a manner that's godly, that reflects the character and nature of our Heavenly Father, which we could say is love, one of those attributes. And we're to practice the command to love one another with each other, and all that involves with the one another commands of Scripture that we studied in the past here. All right, let's look at my translation of chapter 2. So it says, Now, correspondingly, even though each and every one of you is a corporate unit, we're spiritually dead ones because of your transgressions, in other words, because of your sins, each and every one of you formerly lived by means of these in agreement with the standard of the unregenerate people of this age, which is the production of the cosmic world system, an agreement with the standard of the sovereign ruler, namely the sovereign governmental authority ruling over the evil spirits residing in the earth's atmosphere. Specifically, the spirit who's presently working in the lives of those members of the human race who are characterized by disobedience. Verse three, among whom? Each and every one of us also, formally, for our own selfish benefit, conducted our lives by means of those lusts which are produced by our flesh, specifically by indulging those inclinations which are produced by our flesh, or in other words, those impulses which are the product of our flesh, the sin nature. Consequently, each and every one of us caused ourselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of our natural condition from physical birth, just as the rest correspondingly caused themselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of their natural condition from physical birth. But because God is rich with regards to mercy, because of the exercise of His great love with which He loved each and every one of us, even though each and every one of us is a corporate unit with spiritually dead ones because of our transgressions, He caused each one of us to be made alive together with the one and only Christ. Every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace, specifically, He caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be raised with Him. Correspondingly, He caused all of us, without exception, as a corporate unit in the Christian community to be seated in the heavenlies because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. He did this so that He could display for His own glory during the ages which are certain to come the incomparable wealth which is the product of His grace because of kindness for the benefit of each one of us because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace, by means of faith. In other words, this salvation never originated from any one of you as a source. It originated as the gift from God. It does not originate from meritorious actions as a source, so that a person cannot for their own benefit enter into the state of boasting. For each and every one of us are his creative workmanship, for all of us have been created by means of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus in order to produce actions which are divine good. And these God prepared in advance so that each one of us would conduct our lives by means of them. Therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit in the Christian, com- in the Gentile Christian community must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formerly each of you who belong to the Gentile race with respect to the human body specifically those who received the designation uncircumcision by those who received the designation circumcision with respect to the human body performed by human hands. Each one of you used to be characterized as without a relationship with Christ. Each one of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each of you used to be strangers to the most important promise, which is the product of the covenants. Each of you used to not possess a confident expectation of blessing and consequently, each one of you used to be without a relationship with God and the sphere of the cosmic world system. However, because of your faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus, each and every one of you as a corporate unit who far, formerly were far away have now been brought near by means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. For he himself personifies our peace, namely by causing both groups specifically by dest- to be one, specifically by destroying the wall which served as the barrier, that is, that which caused the hostility between the two races and the two races with God. In other words, by nullifying, by means of his human nature, the law composed of the commandments consisting of a written code of laws in order that he might cause the two to be created into one new humanity by means of faith in himself for justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Thus he, he, caused peace to be established between the two races and the two races with God. In other words, that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God through his cross. Consequently, he put to death the hostility between the two races and the two races with God by means of faith in himself for justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at our justification. Correspondingly, he as a result came proclaiming peace for the benefit of each and every one of you. Namely, those who are far off. Likewise, peace to those who are near. Consequently, through the personal intermediate agency of himself, each and every one of us is a corporate unit in the Christian community. Namely, both groups are experiencing access by means of the omnipotence of the one spirit to the presence of the Father. Indeed, therefore, all of us, as a, all of you as a, as a corporate unit, without exception, are no longer foreigners to the covenants of promise, that is, foreign citizens, but rather each one of you as a corporate unit are fellow citizens with the saints that is members of God's household because each and every one of you as a corporate unit have been built upon the foundation which is the communication of the gospel to each one of you by the apostles as well as prophets. Simultaneously, he himself, namely Christ Jesus, is the cornerstone on the basis of its being Continually fitted, inextricably together by means of justification by faith and union and identification with Him, the whole building is growing into a holy temple by appropriating by faith union and identification with the Lord. In other words, by appropriating by faith your union and identification with Him, all of you without exception are being built together into God's dwelling place by means of the omnipotence of the Spirit." Very interesting thing that Paul brings out there toward the end of the chapter, and we'll be uh, pointing this. We'll be pointing this out when we get there. Is that uh, you know you look from the, the cover to cover the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God wants to dwell with His people. Do you see that in the Bible? That's a that's a that that, that that's a common thread throughout Scripture. There's many things that tie the Bible together, and uh, one of them. Uh, you could say the covenants is one of them. The kingdom is one of them, of course. But uh, this, God dwelling with his people. In Genesis, he wanted to dwell with Adam and Eve. The fall took place. And then we have God in the process of trying to dwell with his people. And so we saw that uh, when he got, we get to Israel, we get the establishment of the kingdom of Israel in the tabernacle worship. It was so that God could dwell with his people. And then you had uh, Solomon's temple. And Zerubbabel's uh, temple, and then you had, uh, which became Herod's temple, and uh, where you know God could uh, dwell in, in the midst of His people. And then we saw that uh, Herod's temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. Uh, but we know that uh, that the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell each and every church age believer as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ, the justification. Uh, the, the Father indwells us, Ephesians chapter four, verses verse six, and then you see Colossians one twenty seven. Jesus does, and also you have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8:11, and there are many other passages speaking of the permanent dwelling of the Trinity. So you and I are holy people because of that. And think about that: when you're walking around, people don't realize who you are and who's in you. God dwells with you. That should be comforting. And we need to know that. We need. I need to know that. You know, we're in the devil's world. It's a it's a nasty place. It's a bad place. All this injustice, crazy people everywhere. We're crazy too sometimes. We're we're sinners just like everybody else. You got a devil running around and he got his angels that we can't see. Okay? And you got all this uh, sin nature uh, functioning, uh, doing terrible things to each other in the human race with wars and disease and murder and rape. and It's terrible. Slander and lying and you name it. Corruption everywhere. And uh, we're in a terrible place. And yet God dwells with us. So that should comfort you and me as we go through our trials and tribulations. Remember, momentary light affliction is going to cause, uh, producing us an eternal weight of glory, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. Do you believe that? I have to remind myself to why I believe that too. You know, it, sometimes we're going to go through some t- tough stuff. Uh, but uh, you know what? He's not going to leave you, ever forsake you. He abandoned his son so that he wouldn't abandon us in the lake of fire forever. He ain't going to abandon you and I. And he said that in the context of money in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. So, be encouraged. So, as I said before, today, the rest of the class will be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, the B part, which actually teaches us how Jesus Christ personifies the peace that exists between Jewish and Gentile Christians and how he caused both groups to be one. Now, as we pointed out in our last class, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it contains three assertions. The first in the, in the Greek text is autos estin he arene he I translate that he himself personifies our peace. The ESV, they translate that uh, for he himself is our peace. Most of the modern translations do so as well. And uh, we also see the second assertion that's found in verse two, which we're going to look at today is ha poiesas ta amphoterra en, ah uh, hen, excuse me. That's translated by myself, namely by causing both groups to be one. The ESV, they translate that, who has made both, uh, made us both, one. And then the last assertion, the third and final assertion, let me get this out of here. The third and final assertion is this. It's Kai Ta Mesotoikan to fragmu Lusas Tain Ekthran. I translate that specifically by destroying the wall which served as the barrier that is that caused, that which caused hostility between the two, the two races. The ESV, they translate that as Ian has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of the hostility. So the second assertion we're going to look at in detail today is clarifying the previous assertion that Jesus Christ personifies the peace that now exists between the Gentile and Jewish Christian communities in relation to God. It's identifying, this second assertion is identifying how or by what means Jesus Christ personifies the peace that now exists between Gentile and Jewish Christian communities. The referent of the word Amphoteroi, uh, that uh is uh, translated in both groups. Amphateroi, excuse me, I'm emphasizing the accent if we going to pay attention to the accent. Amphato to Amphateroi. So amphateroi. So there's the accent then. I got to make sure I pay attention to the actions. Well, so the, the, um, the accent. The referent of the articular accused of neuter plural form, this adjective, afataharoi, uh, is uh, both groups. It's, and it, and it's, the referent of that is the Gentile and Jewish races. So this phrase, both groups, okay, it's speaking of both Jewish and Gentile races in the Christian community. How do we know that? It's indicated by the contents of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, which asserts that Gentile Christians have been brought near to God and his covenant people, Israel, and in particular, regenerate Jews. It's also indicated by the contents of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14-18, through 18, as we just read, which asserts that Jesus Christ caused both Jewish and Gentile Christians to be as one group, and he reconciled both groups to God through his finished work on the cross. Now, the participle conjugation of the verb poieo functions as a participle of means. It's translated poieo, this word, who has made, okay? It's an articular participle there. And uh, it functions as a participle of means, which actually identifies the means by which Jesus Christ personifies the peace that now exists between the Jewish and Gentile Christian communities. So if you look at my translation uh, of this uh, particular uh, participle, I translate it, I'll show you how I translate it. Let me just find it here. Okay, uh, Namely, okay? And I'll show you why I use the word namely by causing both groups to be one. If you look at the ESV, they're just saying, who's made both? One. Okay? So that word B-Y there in the beginning of my translation is telling you that I'm translating this participle as a a participle of means which identifies the means by which Jesus Christ personifies the peace that now exists between the Jewish and Gentile Christian communities. Now, there's some... I like to do this because there's people who uh, differ with me and there are people who agree with me. But... I like to bring this out as I go along uh, the, and, then, and then explain why I think they're wrong and I'm right. I give you my reasons. I don't want you to just believe me because I say so. So some expositors argue, and, it's, and by the way, the, the, this uh, discussion is in great detail in my exegesis exposition of Ephesians 2.14, which will be put up on our academia website in the very near future, probably next week, and then it's going to be on our winston.org page as well, of course. So some expositors argue that the articular construction of the participle conjugation of this verb, uh poiaō substantives the verb, and thus would rule out an adverbial use of this participle. What do I mean by that? Substantives the verb. It means the article they look at as turning it into a noun. So it's the substantive use of a participle they're saying. The article can indicate that. So therefore, that would rule out an adverbial use of the participle. What does he mean by that? Adverbial means it's, uh, it's, it's uh, modifying a verb. It's, it's modifying the action of Jesus Christ personifying peace, okay, being our personification of peace for Jewish and Gentile Christians, okay. So, however, I would have to say this. The articular nominative, masculine singular, aris active participle conjugation of this verb, poyao, who has made in your English translations, and the nominative, singular, aris active participle conjugation of the verb, luo, Contain what we call the Granville Sharp Rule. Now, that would indicate that both words have the same referent and that the anarthrous participle luo is explaining in further detail the articular participle poiao. So, if you look at the Greek text, the nestle Aland text of uh, Ephesians 2:14, okay, here's ha poiesas, okay, and uh, so you see this particular word. But uh, we also, let me, let me get back here, my notes. So you have luo, okay? So where's luo, okay? Luo is broken down, okay? There it is, luo. So you have, here's the nestle text again. And here's the phrase, ha-poiesas. Okay, that's an articular participle conjugation of the verb poyao. You go down here and you have lusas, okay? There's no article before it. See this word ha? That's the article. It's before the, this participle conjugation of the verb poya'o. But it's not here. That's telling us that these two words actually go together. The article is t- t- telling us that the they go together. They're they want, The lu-sas, lu-o, is actually trying to explain poya, poya'o. Uh, let me give you, for those guys who are interested in this, some, some of you lay people probably wouldn't be, but... Um, the article preceding the, the adjective amphiteroid is not functioning as a substantive meaning it's not converting the adjective into a substantive, but rather the article is part of a grandfield sharp construction. This is from my article on this uh, exegesis exposition of Ephesians two fourteen, and so he, th- therefore this rule this uh, rule is as follows, and this is taken from uh, Dan, uh, Dan Wallace's uh, uh, grammar. It says, and I'm quoting: When the copulative chi Connects two nouns in the same case, uh, and uh, nouns of personal description, either substantive or adjective or participles, respecting office, dignity, affinity or connection, and attributes, properties or qualities, good or ill. If the article ha or any of its cases precedes the first of the said nouns or participles, and is not repeated before the second noun or participle, the latter always relates to the same person that is expressed or described by the first noun or participle. It denotes a father description of the first name, person, end of quote. So therefore, this would indicate, this, w- therefore, this rule would indicate that the article preceding the verb poiello indicates that the nominative masculine singular aris active participle conjugation of the verb luo and the articular nominative masculine singular aris active participle conjugation of the verb poiello possess the same referent with the former advancing and explaining the latter. In other words, the former talks about a further description of the latter. So, the third and final assertion. Uh, So if you look at my translation of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, for he himself personifies our peace, namely by causing both groups to be one. Specifically, that's bringing out the fact that Luo is describing specifically this participial clause right there by causing both groups to be one. Specifically, how did he do this? By destroying the wall, which served as the barrier, that is, that which caused the hostility between the two races and the two races with God. So, the third final assertion, which appears in Ephesians 2.14, which I pointed out to you earlier, kai ta mesatoikin, tu fragmu lusas tain ekthron, which I translate specifically by destroying the wall, which served as the barrier, that is, that which caused hostility between the two races, that third and final assertion is ep exegetical. So right here in, your, in the ESV, Ian is broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. That is actually explaining this second ex- assertion who has made both groups into one. So this is all indicated by the fact that this third and final assertion identifies or explains specifically how or by what means Jesus himself caused both Jewish and Gentile Christian communities to be one group and is thus the personification of the peace which now exists between the two races he caused both Jewish and Gentile Christian communities to be one group and is thus the personification of the peace which now exists between the two by quote unquote destroying the wall which served as a barrier which caused the hostility between the two so this is bringing out the alarm here now the word for wall Mesotokat this is used in a figurative sense for the mosaic law it's indicated by the articular accusative feminine singular form of the noun ekthra which is translated the hostility in ephesians 2:14. this is interpretation of mesotoichen the wall is also indicated by the expression ente uh, sarki atu tan, nomon, ton nomon tone and tolon and doigmasen kata Kata egesas, okay, which I translate, which that Bible translates, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees in Ephesians two fifteen. So we see that he's talking about the law. So when he says in Ephesians two, he says he has broken down two fourteen 14, the ESV. It says and he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. All right, the dividing wall that is that wall is actually talking about the Mosaic law. Now the word phragmos, which is uh, translated by myself, which served as the barrier, is used in a figurative sense because it pertains of a divisive element keeping two groups separated. It's also used in a figurative sense for the Mosaic Law. How do we know that? Well, again, it's indicated by the word hostility, ekthra, in Ephesians 2.14. It's also indicated by the expression, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees in Ephesians 2.15. So this word, uh, fragmos. functions as an ephexogenical genitive which means that it's identifying what type of wall Paul is speaking of namely it's a barrier in the sense of being a divisive element keeping Jews and Gentiles from interacting with each other so the word ekthra which i translate specifically that which caused hostility appears in Ephesians 2:14 and 16 and in both instances it's used to describe the mosaic law so the word here in Ephesians 2:14 pertains to a state of enmity with someone. And here in context, it speaks of the state of enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles because of the Mosaic Law. So I believe that this expression, ta mesatoikon to fragmu, tein ekthron, which is the wall which served as the barrier, that is, that which caused hostility between the two races. I believe that expression speaks specifically of the Mosaic Law in a twofold sense. Now again, notice... Uh, I'm doing something a lot of pastors don't like to do and do the hard work of exegesis and interpreting for the people because you can't make any application unless you know uh, what the passage is saying. And I don't care if you know Greek or Hebrew, if you don't know how to interpret, what good is that? You know. So I'm explaining my interpretation to you. So I'm taking the time to do that. And then we we'll talk about application. And so <coughs> this is very important because the church uh, needs to let their pastors explain the text for them. And, uh, and not just sit there and be impatient and go right to application. You need to know what the author meant, authorial intent, we call it, in order to make an application. And to inter- You need authorial intent, and then you need to interpret what the author's saying in the original text. And then now you can talk about the significance or the, the application, we can call it, which is related to homiletics, right? So this is very important. So I took the time to explain this. A lot of guys won't do that because they can't keep their audience that people will fall asleep because they could care less a lot of people. They just, just tell me what I, what I what me, applies to me. You know what? Bible class is not always about you. I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'll have to say some people, they're so arrogant. It's like, you know, it is about God, you know. and first that's off and then it comes about you, okay? So not every Bible class is going to be about you and your personal situation, you know? Uh, there'll be many times that will be and you might not like it when you're getting convicted or you might be encouraged. So this is very important that we pay attention to what the text is saying, what the author and his audience would understand him to be saying, and that's why I take the time to explain some things in the Greek. I'm not trying to impress anybody, and, and and I'm trying to I'm not all I'm trying to do is bring out why I believe why I believe this is should be translated this and this means this. So i have just told you that this expression here in the ESV, let me show it to you on the board, is uh, where it says um, who is. Uh, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, okay? So, I believe that expression there is referring to the Mosaic law in a twofold sense. First, it refers to the dietary regulations. Excuse me. It refers to the dietary regulations of the Mosaic law. Why is that a problem? Well, it prohibited the Jews from eating with the foods that God ordained as unclean because they were used by the Gentiles there their idolatrous worship practices. Thus, these dietary regulations, clean and unclean food that you see in the Mosaic Law, like in Leviticus, okay? These dietary regulations prevented the Jews from eating with the Gentiles. And a perfect example of that is Acts chapter 10. Peter didn't want to go to a Gentile's home. And he remember the vision three times? And he didn't get up and eat. And, no, Lord, I, I, I don't eat anything unclean. And God had to tell him what God has said is clean is clean. <laughs> you can eat now. And he's trying to tell them, as Peter says later on in the chapter, Acts chapter 10, that it's okay to go into a Gentile's home and eat these foods, okay? Actually, Jesus did away with the dietary regulations in Mark chapter 7, if you recall. It's not what, a, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean and what's come, it's the evil things that come out of him, right? So the dietary regulations were actually to keep the Jews from getting involved with the idolatrous worship practices of the pagan Gentiles around them, the Canaanites. That's why, okay? So, these dietary regulations initially prevented Jews from eating with Gentiles. Now, not only are these dietary regulations in view, but also the various Sabbath restrictions and circumcision would have separated the Jewish people from Gentile culture. Secondly, it speaks of this expression that we have up here uh, in the ESV, in your Bibles, has broken down the host, uh, it has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. would we'll take out in his flesh. I'll tell you why in the next class. But uh, it, it has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. All right? So that not only speaks of the dietary regulations of the law and the various Sabbath restrictions and circumcision, which would have separated the Jewish people from Gentile culture. Secondly, this expression in Ephesians chapter 2, this final assertion in Ephesians 2.14, speaks of the Jews' misuse and misinterpretation of the Mosaic law, which alienated the Gentiles. The dietary regulations of the law were, again, to protect the Jew from the idolatrous practices of the Gentiles. Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19.6, and represent God to the Gentiles as the true and living God, and they would obey the law, and by doing so, would provide them the opportunity to witness to their Gentile neighbors of God's loving kindness, faithfulness, and power. However, Instead of using the law as a witness to the gentiles, it served to make them arrogant and proud and caused them to look down on the gentiles whom they considered sinners. They brought they thought that they were better than the gentiles because they received the law and circumcision were descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and were made custodians of God's law. Consequently, this caused hostility between Jews and gentiles because it produced arrogant pride in the Jews. When interacting with the Gentiles, and may I say, I've seen this with I've seen this with Christians, okay, who get into the Word of God, and now all of a sudden, you know, you this arrogance comes in. I you know I learned a little bit of the Bible, now I'm going to uh, have an arrogant attitude toward the unbelievers or other Christians. Actually, it should produce in us humility, and the practice of the command to love one another, which means being patient and tolerant to each other. But I see a lot of Christians not doing that because they're arrogant. I think because they get a little, you know, some of the people who call themselves doctrinal, you know, they, 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 they follow a certain line of teachers and everything. They call themselves doctrinal. They're not really doctrinal a lot of times. You know, it's like they, they sit there and talk about it and this becomes an arrogant attitude. You know, show me your doctrine by your practice of it, which would mean command obey the command of love one another, be patient and tolerant of one another, and be, uh, and not be arrogant and think you're better than everybody else. Well, no one is. Just because you've got some knowledge of the Word of God, or I do, doesn't mean I'm better than anybody. I'm just not, you're not either. You know, it's got, by the grace of God we know anything, right? Because without the Holy Spirit helping us, what could we do, right? So therefore, we see this, uh, we have the verb, and we'll come to the end here, We have the verb, I mentioned this earlier, luo, which I translate namely, because he destroyed. The ESV translates this as broken down, okay? Pointed that out to you earlier. So this, we have, this verb luo is in the nominative masculine singular, aris active participle conjugation, and it it is used figuratively, (coughs) excuse me, it's used figuratively in relation to the Mosaic Law, serving as a barrier between the Jewish and Gentile races. So therefore this verb luo, And the third and final assertion in Ephesians 2.14 is expressing the idea that Jesus Christ destroyed, quote-unquote, the barrier, i.e., the various dietary regulations and Sabbath restrictions, as well as circumcision and the Jews' misuse and misinterpretation of the law. He destroyed this wall, which served as a barrier between the two groups and caused hostility between them in the sense that he caused this problem to cease to exist. That's what this word is telling us, Luo. So, the participle conjugation of this verb luo, like the word poieo in the second assertion, functions as a participle of means. That would indicate that the word identifies the means by which, quote-unquote, or how, quote-unquote, Jesus Christ personifies the peace that now exists between the Jewish and Gentile Christian communities. It also identifies the means by which, quote-unquote, or how, quote-unquote, he caused both groups to be one single entity. Now, as we noted, the, the verb poieo and the participle conjugation of the verb luo contain the Granville Sharp rule. And we noted that this would, would it, rule would indicate that the referent of this verb luo is the same referent of the verb poieo. In other words, we see luo presents a further description of poieo, as I pointed out earlier. And thus, the second and third assertions in Ephesians 2.14 are actually linked because of the Granville-Sharp rule. So this is a a little thing of grammar here that helps us understand the passage quite uh, clearly, okay? So therefore, this would indicate that the third assertion explains in greater detail the second assertion in Ephesians 2.14. In what sense? Well, in the sense that it identifies the means by which Jesus Christ caused both Jewish and Gentile Christians to be one entity or group and thus personifies the peace that now exists between both groups. Namely, he destroyed the wall, which served as a barrier and which caused hostility between Jews and Gentiles. In other words, he fulfilled the law. The law can't be a separation between the two races now because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law perfectly and, as we'll see in the next class, on Saturday, before, the last class before the Christmas break, uh, he, uh, he also suffer the consequences of us not keeping the law perfectly which god requires if you want to have a relationship with a fellowship with him if you want to do it on your own and by means of keeping the law you're going to keep the law perfectly but of course no one has kept the law perfectly we don't have the capacity to because we're sinners by nature and practice only jesus could because he's god in the flesh okay so he did what we couldn't do and he suffered the consequences for our sinful actions and disobedience to the law so that's how he, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's destroyed this, uh, this uh, cause of hostility, the Jews' misuse of the law, and also the requirements of the law, which would hinder the Jews to have fellowship or uh, eat in the same home with the Gentile. So this is a great thing, and this brings out what I brought up before. You're talking about racial harmony as a result of what Jesus Christ did and the baptism of the Spirit, which appropriates what Christ did in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection session, the right hand of the Father. So therefore, a Gentile Christian, whether they're black or white, okay? Whether they're Asian, or they're some other race, okay? Whatever you are, there shouldn't be any problems in the Christian community between races, okay? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Forget about the color of the skin, it doesn't mean anything anymore. It doesn't mean anything, it shouldn't mean anything anyways. All the races came from one person anyways, Adam and Eve, right? but we forget about that. And of course, when you get false doctrine out there which kind of permeated our country for a long time, uh in America, that's why we had civil wars and all kinds of stuff in the 1960s. Okay, a lot of false doctrine about the races, you know, the the curse of uh you know, uh, what's his name, um him, you know, and the, all the black races or you know that's that false doctrine. No, 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 not even close to being a great interpretation at all. <laughs> it's just like a joke from Genesis. We studied that in Genesis. And the jet was a Genesis nine, you know, with Cain, Canaan, and that whole curse thing. So that's all, you know, that's just garbage. And so the it's because the gospel destroys all that. The racial problems can be a, if that we we got the answer. The church, the Christian gospel, has the answer to the race problems that we have in this country and around the world. They were around in Jesus' day. The Samaritans wouldn't have anything to do with the Jews, and here's Jesus walking in, talking not only to to a, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan, but a woman. And he's a rabbi. The rabbis and women didn't have anything to do with each other. Worked on the other side of the street. Except when they went home to be their wives or something. Or their mistresses, which some of them did. Uh, so there you have it. So this is, this is how the power of the gospel. And this is what the country needs today and around the world. This, this the gospel because the the gospel solves all the racial problems and the social problems, even the eco, the economic problems it can solve. And also it, it can solve uh, the uh, the environmental problems that this world has. And one day our environmental problems will be gone with the second advent of Christ and the millennial reign because then the curse will be lifted. All right? Well, we got one more class to go before the Christmas break, so let's close in prayer. I'll see you. Lord willing, on uh, 11 a.m. Saturday, this Saturday, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for joining me and putting up with my voice. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this lesson would be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for saving us and uniting us with Jewish Christians uh, through your faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and the baptism of the Spirit, and solving the problems of race with the baptism of the Spirit, the Gospel. So we just thank you so much for the gift of your son and his great sacrifices and, and you know, suffering the wrath of God in our place so that we would suffer the, forever in the lake of fire, fulfilling the law perfectly and suffering the consequences for us not obeying the law. So we just thank you, Father, for that. And thank you for the unity that we have between Jewish and Gentile Christians. And we pray uh, not only for the Gentiles who are not in a relationship with you and your son, but also we pray for the Jews also the Jewish people. And uh, we know that you desire all people to be saved, come to an experiential knowledge of the truth, who is Jesus. So Father, we pray for this in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.